0: Gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? Well, it's been a while, hasn't it? Um. So as we love to have transparency on Persistent and Nasty, um, I've had a pretty major flare-up of my endometriosis over the last few weeks and uh, things have fallen behind and one of those things... I'm afraid, is the podcast. As many of you know, we are unfunded and it is just me and Louise and we are obviously trying to keep ourselves afloat in these challenging times. Um, so any energy that I did have was used for the projects that Pay my bills. Um, but we're back, and I'm very excited uh, to be here. And we've got a great lineup of episodes for you this month a mixture of spooky tales, people doing horror stories, taking uh, different folklore and creating theatre about it, and then just our regular programming of amazing, incredible people making amazing, incredible work. Louise and I have discussed at one point about maybe uh, doing an episode where it's just her and I chatting and I talk to you all about uh, living with endometriosis and being a performer with that and uh, I guess I'm putting it out to all of you if that's something that you would like to hear. Totally fine if it's not because, you know, the world is a hard place to be in right now and uh, we need to find the joy wherever we can and I'm sure that you will find the joy in today's episode. Today Louise and I chat with the incredible Melanie Jordan and Caitlin Skinner of Jordan and Skinner talking about their new show Time Machine, their version of H.G. Wells' classic novel, a feminist approach to it and a uh, you're all going to absolutely love this show. I absolutely know it. If you can get to see it in Scotland, as it's out on tour right now, all the details are in the show notes of today's episode. And be ready to be inspired by two incredible human beings. The work that they create, um, the way that they live and the way that they are is just utterly brilliant. Um, So you're in for a fabulous episode. Remember, you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at PersistentNasty, Instagram at persistent and nasty, Facebook persistent and nasty. Send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can also follow Louise and I on both social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram, and I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.stirrett on Instagram. If you can, and some of you have done many times over, um, if you can support us uh, in any way, either by sharing the episode, downloading, liking, reviewing, telling friends about it, all of that is great. Totally helps the algorithm to get um, our guests heard by as many people as possible. But also, if you're able to donate the price of a cup of tea to Persistent and Nasty to keep us going. We would be eternally grateful and some of you have done that so much and so brilliantly and honestly can't thank you enough. The PayPal link is in the show notes today if you uh, feel that you can. For today's episode, I suggest oh something fruity, maybe something bubbly to match these two incredible women or a lovely glass of wine, maybe a wee cocktail, coffee, hot chocolate or you know. You can always just have a good old cup of tea, sit back, relax and enjoy. Just before we start this episode there was a little sound issue throughout the episode with Zoom but I have done my very best so you might find that occasionally the sound just drops a little bit in quality.
1: Welcome to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. I'm very excited to have you both here. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Oh, pleasure. I think we've been keen to have you guys on for ages, actually. So it's nice that this has worked out um, the way it has the timing, uh, given that you are currently working on a show. Um, So for the benefit of our listeners who might not know, could you both introduce yourselves?
2: Sure thing. Um, So I'm Mel Jordan. I'm the Jordan half of Jordan and Skinner. And I'm Caitlin Skinner. I'm the Skinner half of Jordan and Skinner. And we make theatre, Feminist Theatre, going from a place of anger to a place of joy through the work. Uh, And at the minute, we're in rehearsals for Time Machine, a radical feminist retelling that's going on tour next week. How
1: exciting. Um, So uh, we'll talk about the show, obviously. I'm really excited to talk about the show. But... um, it would be great to get a bit of a potted history. I'm a fan of both of you as people and and your company and the work that you make. Um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well. So it would be great to hear about your journey, making theatre, how you guys met, how you guys came together, how you discovered you both um, were angry about the same stuff
2: and, uh, yeah, what that journey was for you. Do you know, we just realised that we have been making theatre together for 10 years. Wow. I don't know how that's um, it's wild it feels like we've only decided but yeah we've been doing, we've been working together for 10 years yeah we did go to university together but we didn't really know each other at uni yeah caitlin was a year above me
3: yeah so and we had like consulting. friends in
2: common but we hadn't really connected yet
3: but after uni we kind of found ourselves around each other
2: yeah because and we both caitlin worked for long Ha and right. i volunteered for long Ha. we saw each other across the crowded room <laughs> <laughs>
3: And I want to develop it. And I think it's quite feminist and you make feminist stuff. Yeah. So we, yeah, so I came along and we started working on it. And then I signed us up to um, Anatomy, which was this brand new cabaret, theatre, performing arts cabaret happening at Summer Hall. And so because I had signed us up to do a 10 minute scratch of something, we had to come up with something. Hmm. And that came our first show, Sanitise, which we took to the Fringe two years later. Because it takes us quite a long time to get our stuff together to put shows on. She's
0: so nasty! So Caitlin, you were saying that you took um, your first show to festival, uh, Sanitise. I think it's really important that people realise like that that idea, you know, you had your your plan for it and then it takes two years to actually get it somewhere because I think people kind
2: of go, oh yeah, I'm going to make a piece of theatre and then it's going to happen. And that wow. was quick for us, really. You know, like two years is actually a really short amount of time in terms of how, it, how long it actually takes us to make work, really. And we did a few scratches of it. We scratched it at Anatomy, Learned a bit about it and then we scratched it at the Arches scratch night. May the rest in peace. Um, oh, I know, I was literally about to say the same. I was like... Ah. Yeah, and we had to try it out and then we also, we did a longer scratch at the Lyceum.
3: Yeah, we did. We got a bit of... Um, project funding to do a bit of development on it Mm. that's probably the way that we've made work throughout is like we've got a little bit of money to do a couple of days on it from something and a scratch night and a work in progress and something and that's allowed us to get into a room and spend a bit of time on it Mm. and then we've been able to apply for funding to actually make the show so and that's still yeah two years is not that long like we first started working on this show probably like 2016 or something, the one we're yeah. doing now. I mean, obviously there's a COVID delay in there, but... um still takes ages. still takes us ages,
2: yeah. Because
3: yeah. it's not like a play where someone can sit at home and write it and then you've got the script and then you can work on it. Like, we do need to get in a room and that mm. that can be... It's just getting harder and harder, actually, to be honest. Yeah,
2: totally. And also all of our work is... Like it has a lot of clown in its heart, which is like direct address of the audience and is playing with comedy. And you just can't know about that stuff until you put it in front of an audience. So like, yeah, different scratch opportunities are the only way that we can make work, really. And then, uh, what's your process like? Because um,
1: I've, I've been privileged enough to work with you, Caitlin. So I think I've got a sense of how, how you work and how you explore um, the topics and the issues you want to um, finally, present on stage, um, and it was a, it was a joy to get to see you work. And and um, we, for those of you who listening who don't know, um, Caitlin and I worked together on a show called Propeller, which feels like a hundred years ago now. <laughs> that was um, yeah. uh, on at the Fringe as part of the uh, Scottish Drama Team Training Networks network ensemble. Um, so, do you guys work in a similar way, or do you have a, a process that's quite bespoke and specific to your collaboration?
2: What's it like? I mean, it always starts with like something we're really angry about, annoyed about. And I was just like talking around that a lot and then trying to find a way into that um, and whether that is through an image. Like, for example, in the second show that we made at a stretch, the image was these two women bound together with elastic, which is fun, but also hurts, you know? And that was kind of the image that really drove the show on. Or sometimes it's about finding a character, like A Brief History of the Fajal Mal Ego, the show we did before this one. That was about finding this character of Andrea, who's a men's rights activist. And so that was our way in. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, with this with this show, it's about the book, wasn't it? The book was the way that in. That was the starting
3: point. But to be fair, again, I would say it was character that allowed us to understand what our version of that would be. So I, I feel like it's different, slightly different for every show. Um, and I, I would say with Jordan and Scare the most, because it's, it's clown, that character thing is the most important. Mm-hmm. And often I think also because we're making political work, finding the character that can allow you to uh, be playful with the material, that can mean that you're not being too front on politically, it allows you to come at the side from something. I think that's always really key. And that's the reason why scratching cabaret works for us, because you need to... You don't really know who that character is mm. until you interact with the audience, um, and that I don't. I don't always. It's not. It's not usually like that with me in other performances. And then with this, comp- with this show, that it's been different again because we have an ensemble. There's four performers in this show, and they weren't involved in the development. They only come on board for the production period. So while we did other kinds of development with different groups of people, which was really great. Um, it didn't really come together until we met these, this particular group of people. And it couldn't do that, which was very much what happened in Propeller, actually, wasn't it? Like it doesn't matter how much you did until we really met those people and figured out who they were, the show, it wasn't clear what the show was going to be. It was kind of similar with this, I would say, um, in terms of the the, yeah, the, the, the those particular actors, the characters they created, the ideas, the perspectives that they brought, mm-hmm. really key to the development. And we only met them three weeks ago, so it's wild. Yeah.
0: It, I was like, is Louise going to go? Am I going to go?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just, I think what would be, what I'm really interested in is why this book and the character and what it was about it that has kind of captured both of you mm-hmm. um, and therefore kind of led you down this road and this story, your version of it. Yeah, I
2: mean, we were really fascinated in the future um and i remember at the time like just before trump got into power and before um brexit and all these things just before that we were talking a lot about there was a big trend in like vintage wear and vintage styling and like vintageness it was after like um kate and william got married (laughs) and it felt like this real return of like traditional britishness vintageness was really really fashionable and we were really interested in why that might be And is it because we're scared of the future that we want to kind of live in the past a little bit? So we were sort of thinking about that relationship between the future and the past and then digging a bit deeper into that about, you know, what our present present situation might dictate how we feel about the future. So that was something we were interested in anyway. And yeah, and then the book really allowed us to explore that further because the book is really like the benchmark for time travel, for what we know about time travel and how we might think about um, time as a fourth dimension. It's like the first the first time that was ever written and put into words. And um, so those two things felt like they really sat together. And then as we started developing it more, Brexit happened, um, and Trump got into power, and the world felt more and more apocalyptic and scarier. And then that you know the future in the book in the year 800-2701 is like the human race is split split into two species and the aristocrats live above ground or the the future beings of the aristocrats live above ground and the future beings of the working class live below ground and the working class are starting to eat the upper class and like and it's terrifying so that felt like really true to us (laughs) that feeling and that terror
3: yeah, and I, I think the bit like I don't know that we've always had the, that comfortable uh, relationship with the book. Like I think there's been times when we're like, why are we doing this book again? Because there's so much in it that we don't relate to that mm-hmm. doesn't feel relevant, it doesn't feel like a It's not it's not even funny. Like it's really not so dry. <laughs> there's two women in it. One of them's and one of them's a servant, and the other one is uh, has like a dodgy relationship. And actually he's not even sure she, he's a, she's a woman. So anyway. And she's a girl. She's very, very, very young. Yeah, but it's not, anyway, it's dodgy. So it was not always exactly like, oh, this is a book that we are so passionately in love with that we must bring it to the stage. It was more that there was a question in it. There was some ideas in it that we wanted to mess with. Mm -hmm. And then I think once we came up with the idea that it was going to be told by a group of feminists who were in a bunker preparing for the end, that was what was interesting to us. And I guess it gave us this opportunity to make fun of and play with our own feelings of doom about the future and about the apocalypse. And that was what was appealing to us because I think for us, it has to be something we don't have an answer to, that we don't know, we don't have the solution, you know, and and something that we're navigating in our own lives. And so that, I think once we'd find those two things, it was like, okay, we can see that there's a connection between these two things and the fun and the creative um, exploration and inquiry is about how those two things go together um, I'm doing a nice gesture visual gesture here for the podcast listeners
2: um you make
3: physical fit <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time Caitlin don't worry about it <laughs>
0: talking my hands forget that my face is doing stuff and people can't see it and you'd think after doing the podcast for as long as we'd be doing it I'd remember but I don't so Absolutely fine. and um, it's so interesting that you're talking about apocalypse and everything. And I have no idea what's going on outside, but um, there's shitloads of fireworks going off. Oh yeah. weird. Uh it's south side of Glasgow. <laughs> I'm like, South side of Glasgow, what's going on? It's also still quite light. Oh, hmm. Why are you wasting them?
2: <laughs> hey, weird.
0: I hope it mean So it just happened. You just started talking about uh, apocalyptic shit, and then the fireworks started going yeah. off, and I was like, oh, okay.
2: Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's the time. Maybe now's the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Which is a bit of a shame. We've been working really hard on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were
0: Well, no. Let's hold the end off a little bit so that people can see the show. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. And then the end. Of Which off. is exactly what we want. And like that idea of taking it is like you know that thing about time travel. is... There's that thing with sci-fi, isn't it? It's such a male-dominated in so many ways world that when women start to dip their toe into it, there can be a real reaction um, to that. I'm just wondering if you've had any reaction from it. Um,
3: I think, uh, well, so yes, I think you're right, it is very much a male-dominated sphere, but we have got some really amazing... Not just women sci-fi writers, but feminist sci-fi writers. that' such fertile ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know wells, I don't wells not not really a feminist, but certainly an optimist, uh, certainly a socialist, uh, certainly would connect to a lot of feminist values, hopefully, I would think, if he was around nowadays. So I think it's fertile ground for us.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's also like Wells was a product of his environment as well. Like he's just surrounded by wealthy white men. That's it. And, and so that, that's really all he knew. Do you know what I mean? And there's something interesting about thinking about where he's coming from in his present moment and like coming from early capitalism to dream up the, you know, the division that that might cause if we carry on down these capitalist lines. Um, I think that's really brave and really mm-hmm. forward thinking. And so that definitely feels feminist in a, yeah. It feels like he would be a feminist now, I would like to think. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'd like to think so too. I'm, I'm with you both on that. Let's hope so. That's fine. Let's, I mean, you know, time travel was a thing. We could go back and find out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And what are the kind of key points for you, like through the development of this, and now with your actors in the room, like what are the things that have really jumped out for you in your show that you're like, yes, that fucking hits exactly what we were hoping to put out there.
2: Do you know what? Like, just how how easy it is to feel deep despair and doom at the future, but then also how easy it is with a group of women, with a group of feminists, to wrap to like rally each other up and to get excited about optimism and the future as well and and the show kind of moves between those two scales I'm doing gestures again um it moves between those two scales and it's about how it's really possible to have both in a really Mm -hmm. short amount of time that feels very true to how I feel certainly right now anyway I mean I don't know about
0: Louise I, that, I feel that kind of on a daily basis it feels just now like I'll be in absolute despair at the state of the world and human beings being just utterly shitty and then a really beautiful moment will happen or I'll have a great conversation with someone and I'll be like oh, okay all is not
3: lost no, and, and it has felt like there's a bit, a bit of we've reflected on that a little bit in the process like considering what's happened in the last three weeks not not unlike a lot of three weeks, but you know, still a lot of extraordinary things have happened of of late. And how much we've all really appreciated just having a room and just being like, no, this is our this is being a room to have these kind of conversations, to share our to share, yeah, our worries and upsets, but also our hopes and dreams and, and what we want for the future. And actually that there's there's real power in that. Um, and and yeah, we felt we felt that in the process as well as I think hope that's essentially where the characters in the play end up as well.
0: What is it you're hoping for everybody that they'll feel when they leave the show? Oh,
2: great question. I hope they will feel like, oh, I had a really good time at a really great show. <laughs> but I also <laughs> um, I hope that there's two things. I hope that there's a recognition of, oh my God, things are really, really tough and we need to look at it straight in the eye. No. You know, like the show is about how, you know, uh, women, marginalized groups, LGBTQ uh, plus community, disabled people, people of color, any any marginalized group is going to be hit hardest because the people in power are not that. The people in power are white, stress, white, cis, straight, wealthy men. And that still is the case, sadly, even now. And so, yeah, when the shit hits the fan, that's what's going to be really difficult. Those groups are going to be affected. Um, so there's something about recognizing that and sort of recognizing your own personal role and responsibility in that fight, but also recognizing that we can, I don't know, I really feel like we can do this. Yeah. We can get through this, we can survive. Like if we organize and collaborate, we can make good stuff happen. I think that's what that's what I'm gonna live with.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Kind of grasping your politics and 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 plunging boldly forward with each other.
2: Mm. And also knowing that it's okay to feel doom and despair. We all do. Yeah. But there'll always be someone in your collective group that can hold on to the hope. So you can feel the doom. It's okay to feel that. And it's all right that you don't know how. (laughs) It's okay to not know how. It's okay
3: to not see the path forward. We will find a way. We have to find a way. Yeah, we do.
1: I think that's that's probably what's going to make it hyper relevant and urgent because i think that's that thing like every time i log on to social media the wave of like existential dread that hits me because it does feel very it does feel very apocalyptic right now um and you know those uh straight wealthy white men you're talking about mel like they're disaster capitalists as well like it's a there's a short termism like you know destroy it all and make a cash grab and not think about (laughs) What that actually means, and don't think about accountability. Plus, there's the return of low rise jeans and all sorts of other horrific things happening. So, oh my like, God. you know, yeah, I thought yeah, I was I done with that. Oh
2: my God. I can't
1: do Just thinking about like the return of fashion and like when you were talking about like this vintage, like aesthetic returning, that was what I thought. That's what we've got right now, and it's just, yeah, because of everything great. else, who can cope? Low rise
2: jeans are vintage. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to add. Yes. but like fashion's so interesting yeah. about the future because like the 80s you know a time of like brightness in the future and hey capitalism's great and we're all gonna make us have money and have a really good time and the fashion is so like futuristic and pointy and shiny and you know big I think it's really interesting comparing the fashion in just in terms of how we feel about our present moment to now mm-hmm. I mean, I'm excited by that maybe you'll see that design in the show in a little bit mm, maybe, maybe. Mm. yeah I did have
1: a question about the aesthetic because looking at the 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 marketing material that got Mm. sent through it does have a very cool almost tank girl-esque aesthetic which like immediately hooked me um
3: yes tell me more one of the great things about the fact that we've got you know we've been making shows for a little while and we now get a bit more money to make shows than we did is that you get to employ people who are quite a lot cooler than you are so we've got we have got like an, we're working with the awesome nova sound on music and they're so cool so the soundtrack is banging and mm-hmm. um, they're going to put it all on spotify actually so you will be because you will want to listen to it after the show because it's really good yes um And yeah, our uh, set designer, uh, Christine, has done a phenomenal job. Like, we didn't want to go down the kind of camel survivalist. We thought they would go against that. So actually, it's quite a lot of like bright colour and like AE stuff. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to say too much about the set, but it's quite colourful. As well as like little nods to some of the Victorian um, elements from the book and stuff, which all live in that world. Um yeah, and they all look really cool. And um I think it's it's great because Christine was actually working in Canada at the time. So it's got quite a lot of like vintage sort of ski wearers in there. And she did manage to pick up an extra jacket for the stage manager, which I thought was pretty important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're a team. We all dress
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it I kind of love that you've gone or that Christine has gone that way as well because again I think that thing of like doing the camo thing you know hi there you know teenager of the late 90s there was camouflage was going on a lot and if yeah. we're talking about fashion let's please not have cargo patents coming back with a kitten heel it was fucking awful at the time <laughs> let's not do it again thank you very much um why I blame Atomic Kitten for it. Literally never happening
1: again. It, it was a dark time for fashion in the early noughties. It was a very dark time. Dark. Like, let's not speak about. I thought the 80s was bad, but early noughties, God, no. Um, but I
0: just, what I love is the fact that you, ha- that Christine hasn't gone for the camo thing, as much as I do love it, as I say, because again, it's so male orientated. Military,
2: and yeah. just not, that's not them. No, it's not them at all. In fact, they're nothing like that. They're really like, you know, not influenced by those tropes of maleness and like survivalists and preppers. Like they have created their own version of that very much so, and that's true. In like the the bunker they've created is really alive. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. got living things in it. It's and it's homely and it's nice. <laughs> you know, as well as being really efficient, and they've got certain rules they have to follow. The electricity is quite rubbish, so they have to do certain things. But um, yeah, it's really them, and and I suppose. As a reflection it's really us like what yeah. we you know how we would prepare for the future and you know just have a lot of biscuits and nice plants around good board games yeah
0: In your process for that like you kind of really think about what they would have in that space and like let the actors experiment with that because I know myself as an actor like if somebody says okay you get to create your own den basically and your own thing and like that the joy that that brings you as a performer but then the things that you get from that as a performer is so brilliant just wondered if you did that in rehearsals or if you had that plan oh
3: yeah a lot of it to be fair a lot of the stuff is in the bunker they interact with the bunker in a really um yeah really felt way we've had the set in rehearsals since the first week because it's really important like we climb up it we clamber all over it um and all the things that they are in the bunker are used um and so it's kind of come out of that it's come out of like what are we using and then therefore we, it's in the bunker and also because we are telling the story of the time machine using stuff from the bunker that's also infected what is in the bunker as well so it's like oh we need that in order to tell this part of the story so that needs to be in there somewhere so it's been a bit uh, it's been a bit, bit bit
2: more of that probably rather than a personal process. Yeah, although to be fair, like in a lot of the development we have played around with, okay, you've got a bunker at the end of the world, what, what you do you need? want? Yeah. But I suppose, and that's that's really informed what we're doing yeah, now, true. all of that development. Um, I think what's really key is like there's really no set dressing, like it's all stuff, it's it really all props, yeah. all things that are practical and usable and transformable. That's really important to it as well. So we jump between the time traveler world and the Victorian world and the bunker world yeah. a lot. Throughout, um so it all kind of needs to serve all the purposes, really. Yeah, that's, that's
0: great. I love. I, I mean, I love that as a performer and as an audience member, though, to come and see something and yeah. everything is getting used and it's not just there for the sake of it. I love that.
3: Things transform mm. and change
2: and become different things. Yeah, and apart, and well. then ripped apart. Yeah, hmm. and maybe put together again. We'll maybe see. let's not we won't say anymore <laughs> yeah we don't need to say
0: anymore it's totally fine I do have a question on other time travel like novels and films did you watch any of them while you were going through development and stuff and
2: did you have any favorites yeah I couldn't watch any time travel films no because it would just I would just play that role oh. I just couldn't I've not watched any of them on purpose
3: I uh, it's actually probably more books the big thing that I listen to is audiobook called Her Land. Mm-hmm. which is quite an early, I mean, it's really early. It's before the Time Machine. 1915. Wow. Was that oh, after the Time the Machine. Time Machine is 1895. 1915, 1915 then. 1915. Um, uh, it's uh, written by a woman. It's a feminist utopian novel. So it's about these two dudes who um, travel to a society, which is only women. They've they've, um, uh, they've found a way or they've magicked a way to give birth without men, basically. Um, and it's that was really brilliant. Um, that was really inspiring in terms of, like, how the bunker people might operate and what they might be looking for and we enjoyed that. Um, what
2: else did I get really into? I've read quite a lot of Ursula Le Guin. Yeah. And thinking yeah, thinking about utopias, that's been a huge bit of our research, actually, because yeah, utopia sounds lovely at first, but then when you start comparing your utopias, like one person's utopia to another person's utopia, it, it yeah it starts to get complicated very very quickly yeah um in terms of what you know the perfect scenario is and what what would be the dream feminist utopia so that's been super yeah. interesting yeah to think about to like you know read about different utopias in, in science fiction novels but also to ask the performers and the different creative people and people who've done workshops with us across this development as well what their utopia would be and um and also that's very much part of the show as well, because I think it, I think it's a bit unanswerable, mm. what it what it actually is Yeah because yeah. most time travel films are about going back to the past. Mm.
3: Um, yeah because, and, and, and actually it's much easier for human beings to think about time travel in terms of going back to the past. And um, so for us it was about, okay, what just, yeah, what's our relationship with the future? And what I love about, well, what's interesting about the book is that very much how H.G. Wells is writing about the future is influenced by his own time in early capitalism. Mm -hmm. So our question is like, okay, here we are in extreme capitalism, how do we relate to the future? And kind of feeling a bit um, cross at having been robbed of that imagination to some extent by the destruction of the planet. This is really hard to think very far ahead at the moment
0: yeah it really is like when you kind of watch things and see things i watched frozen planet on sunday i mean love it amazing spectacular and then they just do the last 15 minutes and they showed you the um the ice uh
2: disappearing
0: um and it's just fucking depressing
3: yeah
2: (laughs) and yeah so that idea
0: of future is really, is, at the moment, it doesn't feel attainable. I think.
3: Yeah. But think, also, the hope there
0: will be. Sorry, on you go. Oh, no,
3: no. Just what they often put at the end of the documentaries is um, showing how quickly nature can recover because that is phenomenal. Mm. And what works for us, I think, is that in the in the book, the world is very lush and green, mm. and. And so, I and we've been doing workshops as part of this and asking people about how they feel about the future and how far in the future they can imagine. And I think that's the way they feel is that, okay, if we get over the next 50 years, you know, if we have found a way to let nature come back, mm-hmm.
2: then then we can ask these questions about where humanity might be going. But it's very much at the mercy of nature. Do you know what I mean? I think like a lot of the research we've done has been about, yeah, like looking 100 years, 200 years, 500 years in the future, like what which is completely mind-blowing and really, really difficult to do. But there is this sense that maybe nature will take control again. But I do think that that's going to be because humans need to let go of it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, you know, if we can achieve that, that'd be amazing. I really question if we can, honestly. Sorry, it's spoke of Yeah, absolutely. I'm... Um- not to depress us all
3: too much, um, <laughs> because, you know. I am an optimist. Like, I do think that we nature is powerful if we sort ourselves out. I agree. I
0: totally agree. I, I do agree. I think um, Mother Nature will sort us out. We'll just, we're the ones that need to adapt. They yeah. will do, nature will do it shit and it will survive. And we're the ones that need to adapt if we want to. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. And one of the questions we ask in the show is, yeah, so if nature is going to thrive, is that because it's the end for humans? And like wrestling with that absolute nosebleed of an idea, you know, like how do, yeah. we, how do we even deal with the idea that humans have arrived at one second to midnight um, on the earth? I sort of feel like it's in the back of our minds, and,
1: and and the sort of I think it's I think it's embedded in our collective consciousness that idea that in order for things to there to be a formal reset of any kind, that we are maybe part of the problem, which I think is what makes all of this exploration and sci-fi and and books about books and movies about this kind of thing so compelling. Because I think I think really somewhere in our subconscious, we're always thinking about it.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: did you guys come across a book um, while you were researching called "Women on the Edge of Time" by Marge Piercy? No,
3: that yeah. sounds
1: good. It's one of my favourites. It's a, a Marge Piercy's a, a an American activist and, and writer, and, and "Women on the Edge of Time" is sort of lauded as a sort of feminist '70s sci-fi classic. And it's about a Mexican American woman who gets unfairly incarcerated um, in a New York mental institution because um she's unfairly discriminated against she gets the custody of her daughter taken away from her and over the course of her time in the institution she gets visited from she starts to receive a being from 2167 um mm-hmm. and she kind of uh that from a for, from a utopian feminist uh, future that actually Connie the, the, our protagonist is directly linked to making happen it's very it's very very cool and it explores a lot of some of the stuff you've already touched on, like what a utopian future might mean in terms of environmentalism and techno science and and yeah. what it means to be caregivers and socialization. Like there's no gendered parenting and yeah. kids arrive by committee, like was a decision made and, you know, by committee within the society, all this cool stuff. And it, what you're talking about in terms of like utopias are fascinating ground because I think you're totally right. I don't think they're necessarily achievable because everyone's going to have an opinion about what that looks like yeah. and, sometimes that's not going to intersect
3: in a nice, amicable and agreeable way. I think it's totally possible. I just think it's hard and we like lack the imagination sometimes. I fully just bought that book, by the way. It sounds great. <laughs> okay. I was literally
0: watching Caitlin do that. I was like, she's either writing it all down and then...
3: <laughs> yeah, so I just bought it on. I'm, I am, um, yeah, I'm obsessed with Audible. That's all I do It's just... Take audible recommendations from people, especially <laughs> feminist sci-fi. And um, I was just trying to look up, actually, the other thing I was trying, to do was trying to look up another book. So I, I read another book that was really great, and I've just totally forgotten what it's called. But it was about um the idea that that babies could what would happen if babies could be born outside of the body, so they could be born in this kind of sap. And I think there is a big for. I think I, yeah, I think re- reproduction is a big part of the show. I'm not going to say any more about it oh <laughs> um but there's a massive link between you know people making and its connection to um you know the feminism yeah. um and 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 the way that capitalism very much separates people making from the world of work and all that kind of stuff that, that is kind of a, a bit I just think it's at the heart of you can't separate it, which is why it feels extraordinary that HG Wells kind of has separated that mm. Um, Because it feels, to me, it feels absolutely key to the answer too.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think that idea of like, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and thinking about mm. how you might do that in a feminist way, how it can be collaborative, how, um, yeah, how we can raise the next generation to look after each other, look after the planet, you know, not hold hatred goes against capitalism so much do you not know I mean like we really need to just rip down capitalism <laughs> you know and i think that that's the thing isn't it it's like capitalism is so embedded in every fiber of our beings that even if you really try and let go of it it's still completely impossible really um, and so, it's totally not impossible. No, though. it's not possible. I just mean it, feel, it feels it feels, it feels massive. It feels massive, okay. massive. It's only because we're lacking imagination. Yeah, and because all
3: our other ideas have been quashed, mm-hmm. like genuinely suppressed yeah. in a quite a violent way throughout history. It's so true. Fully, other options are fully available. They are to fully us. available.
2: But the people, I suppose, the people in charge benefit from capitalism. Sure. So that's the thing. So yeah, people need to not benefit from capitalism anymore. So we need to eat those rich people, and then. Things
3: will change. Eat hungry. the rich, baby. Eat the rich. Yeah. There's a, there's a, yeah. You there's a big eat the rich situation in the show. which definitely comes <laughs> in. Well, on that, let's um, have
0: a little chat about what, where everybody can see the show, when they can see it, dates, etc. Oh no.
2: Yes. Um, Who are you on the spot? <laughs> we're really bad at so Aww. we're opening next Friday at Platform, which well, is the seventh of October, I believe, and then we're doing the following day, which is the eighth. And then we're going on tour around Scotland, oh, and we're just so finding the, um, the dates. Here we go. Oh, great. Okay, so here we are. We're in St Andrews on the 13th of October, then we're at Cumbernauld, London House, the 14th of October and 15th of October, then the Beacon Arts Centre in Greenock, 20th of October, Danoomborough Hall, 22nd of October, the Tron Theatre in Glasgow, 26th and the 28th, Traverse in Edinburgh. Thursday, the third of November to Saturday, the fifth of November, and then the cat strand in New Galloway, Dupreeson Galloway, on the 9th of November. Wasn't that professional? Beautifully done. <laughs> Beautifully done.
0: Um, thank you for that. Because we kind of were having a little bit of Zoom issue at the start. Um, I would love just individually for you both to kind of talk about your careers and where you at, where you're at. Not obviously, obviously, including both of your stuff together. Um, and kind of your next projects, if you're up for all that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Sure thing. Uh, what, uh, sorry, you said talk about our careers. <laughs>
0: so. so you obviously both went to uni together and then you created your own work, but you've also done things individually, not just...
3: Yes, we have. We do, we are <good. laughs> um, Yeah, so I'm a theatre director. Um I trained initially in uh, like community theater and applied theater. And then when I started working, I kind of segued into um, working with actors and working with idiots like Mel. Um, I uh, I also so I have I've always had this dual practice in devising and also new writing. So I used to run a pub theatre called the Village Pub Theatre in Leith, um, and uh, and then I worked freelance, uh, and now I am a artistic director at Stellar Quines, which is an intersectional feminist theatre company based in Edinburgh. Um, and so this is me taking a bit of a break from Stellar Quines to uh, check in with Jordan Skinner. Um, and I also run another company with Philip Howard and Mike Griffith called Pearl Fisher, which is a touring
2: new writing theatre company based in Scotland. You go. Good. OK. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, what am I doing? So I'm a performer and a director and a theatre maker and I teach a little bit as well. And so my practice, well, I trained as a performer. And I've always been really interested in political work. I trained as a performer and didn't realize why people were laughing when I was trying to be very serious as a performer. So then I went to train as a clown and then the penny drops. So I was like, oh, it's because I'm a clown. So then, yeah, so I went to Gollier in Paris and studied clowning and play and then have really applied that to all of my work. I work a lot in street theatre as well and I work a lot with communities and professionals. And I suppose everything at the heart of my work is about challenging the status quo. I'm very interested in gentle anarchy through comedy. Um, and so that that kind of spreads over all of my work, whether I'm a performer or a director or a maker or inputting into someone else's process. And most of my work comes from a place of devising. Um, so I am a physical theatre practitioner with Surge. And Surge are an organization who supports circus, physical theatre, and street performance. And so through that role, I direct work or I perform in work or I um, work mainly work with artists to develop their own practice as well. So I guess, yeah, I have yeah, I I do a lot of different things, <laughs> is the thing, but everything that and so Caitlin and I do a lot of work individually but then all of that work really feels like it feeds into our work at Jordan and Skinner yeah and so we have this like new writing devising and then also clown and political theatre and street theatre work that kind of comes together in a lovely mush at Jordan and Skinner lovely mush <laughs> that's Lovely. Mm-hmm. that's sounds- awesome beautiful
1: a lovely mush it's great. <laughs> I also loved when you did a lovely
0: moosh, the pair of you just leaned into the camera and were like a bit like
1: little smiley love hearts.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was no. like, oh, look at you too. Yeah. Well, um also since this is um this episode will be going out during our spooky season. Um I'm gonna ask you a question. Favorite Halloween movie?
3: Oh, Hocus Pocus. Good, one. really that's what it's called isn't it yeah with Ben Midler yeah 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 amazing best best Halloween movie ever and hopefully like something just released today as well it's terrible why would you do that it's perfect you can't <laughs> improve on perfection well it's a sequel yeah I don't I know I, don't I know I'm
0: kind of I'm kind of with you and worried about it but we'll see I'm still going to watch it
3: yeah obviously if I will so. we'll also clearly watch it
2: if I do I I love the thrill of, like, really, really scary horror. Really a bit of a horror fanatic. I love Hereditary. Such a good film. That is good. Really deeply terrifying.
3: That's with Tony
2: Collette. With Tony Collette. Yeah. I love any kind of supernatural, really scary stuff. And I have to watch it on my own because my partner won't watch it with me. So, yeah, I love that. I love really freaking myself out. It's a great time of year.
0: I mean I'm the literally biggest scaredy cat like we did an episode two years ago didn't we Louise? And we went through all the films and basically I was like Adam's family hocus
3: pocus all right. All right. I would be there for that I can't do the other ones yeah yeah I don't mind, mind it's something with a bit of content I can go if there's content I'm there for the horror otherwise I, can't. I just want to go to bed yeah yeah <laughs> totally totally um
0: so, aware of time, and although we could continue to talk to both of you for a very long time, but we do have a question, Louise. You can ask the question.
1: Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so the question is: as you know, we're called persistent and nasty, and you might be aware that that is um, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek response to a couple of cultural moments in, in the last uh, ten years or so. One of them being Elizabeth Warren and the nevertheless she persisted uh moment and combined with the reclamation of being called nasty women which came out of the you know that former president and his um approach to Hillary Clinton and so we put those two words together as a sort of like little cheeky reclamation and uh, so what we like to ask our guests is when they hear that when they hear that we're called persistent and nasty what that means to them so when you hear those hear those words what does persistent and nasty mean to you
2: Fills me with hope, to be honest, thinking about hope and doom. Uh yeah, it makes me feel really, really hopeful. There's something about persistent and nasty, which makes me feel like I can just totally be myself, you know. Yeah. a, a ha- hairy person with no makeup on and not and not have not brushed my hair, which is how I feel the best, you know, my na- natural state. Um, and that's that's cool. And I know that shouldn't be radical, but it feels like it still <laughs> is. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds us of the, um, the the shoulders, giants' shoulders that we stand on, mm. that was terrible.
2: Giant giants. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that phrase reminds me of yeah history and and how much we are are coming from that place and how far there is still to go. And that's the persistent, isn't it? But then we must do it in our own way.
2: We have to do it in our own way. And it doesn't matter if it's um not likable. Who gives a shit? yeah do you know because we been not we've been doing shows together for 10 years I've been reflecting a lot on like the first show we made together feel felt super feminist but a bit apologetic to be honest sometimes mm. and like now I feel like I, I, the show as you will see if you come and see it is so the opposite of apologetic yeah. it doesn't really care I think people will definitely be uncomfortable at bits and I'm really excited for that
0: Do you think that's something to do with age as well? Like that idea of kind of apologising and... Because I sometimes feel that as well when I think back to how, you know, I might have approached something like even five years ago to how I will approach it
3: just now. Definitely age. I think the movement has changed as well, like... You know, we, we think about like when we made our show, I remember it be, the first show it was very much commented on. We were one of a couple of shows in the fringe that year that was about women. <laughs> it was kind of definitely remarked upon. And then by the time we were at the fringe in 2019, our last show, we were kind of promoting it as feminist theater because that was we people knew that was a thing. People were there to the fringe to see work that was feminist and we were part of a bunch of artists making a generation of artists making that kind of work. So I think that that gives you permission because it means the conversation's moved forward. So you can pick it when you pick it up. It's it's a little bit more developed. It's a little bit more, more nuanced. And um, so I think the audience, I think the audience is with you
2: mm-hmm.
3: as well as where we are.
2: And also, it feels like we don't have to explain ourselves anymore. We don't have to explain why we make feminist theatre anymore. No, and Which, we're not the yeah. only ones doing it anymore. No, thank goodness. Well, not that it was never before, but you know, we're just not
3: alone now. It's it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yep. much more of a
0: collective feeling, right? That's I think yeah. what it is, just across the board with that.
2: Body of work for sure.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's great to feel like you're part of
3: that.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. It <laughs> is.
3: You know, <laughs> even you, like, like. <laughs> in, you know, in terms of like touring Scottish State or like uh, the unbecoming is out at the moment, uh, this is true in the same time as as us. Um, the company of rules shows that it's very much about um, kind of feminist issues and womanness, mm-hmm. and and we have a stellar Quine show sister radio which is touring as well. So you know we're even amongst pals within a small Scottish touring theatre circuit, which wouldn't really have been the case even five years ago. So. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, also we do give less of a fuck now. Yeah, and that very we're much so. privileged to be in that's a privileged position to be in because when we first started out, like we didn't have
2: that privilege. Yeah, and that's that's so present in the show the lack of fucks particularly in the eat the rich scene
0: <laughs> i am so excited to see it and i'm sure everybody listening is as well and um, yeah. we will make sure and have all the links to wherever uh, to all the venues so everybody can get their tickets to come and see it um mel and caitlin thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank, um, thank
3: you for all that you do as well yeah um hopefully
0: we can have another chat one time when we're in person and we can just talk about all the things that we want to rip down and start again
3: well well, when you come to the show we can
0: maybe do that then yes definitely (laughs) so once again thank you Mel and Caitlin so much for coming and chatting to us today it's been an absolute joy and until next time lovely listeners (laughs) See <laughs> <laughs>